You're listening to On Development, a podcast of the Millennium Challenge Corporation, or MCC. MCC is an independent United States government international development agency whose mission is reducing poverty through economic growth. In this episode, MCC's Aisha House, Vice President of Congressional and Public Affairs, speaks to Dan Barnes about how MCC selects eligible countries for grant assistance from those committed to good governance, economic freedom, and investing in their citizens. Dan Barnes serves as the Managing Director for Selection, Eligibility, and Policy Performance at MCC, where he guides MCC's annual country selection process, monitoring of policy performance in MCC partner countries, and strategic research. From 2008 to 2016, Mr. Barnes led both the research and the design of policy reform programs on governance and anti-corruption in a diverse set of developing countries at the World Bank. Earlier in his career, he was a legislative assistant for U.S. Representative Peter J. Visklosky and also a travel writer. Mr. Barnes holds a B.A. from Harvard University and an M.A. from Johns Hopkins University School of Advanced International Studies. Thank you all for joining On Development again for uh, MCC's seventh podcast session. Um, We're so excited today because we are all celebrating what's really, frankly, a a big annual event at MCC. It is scorecard season. And when we do the scorecards, it's frankly, foundationally, one of the most important things that comes out of MCC, because it's where we set the pace and talk about the standards that we set for the country partners that we work with. So I am excited today to be able to talk about the scorecards and talk about it with one of our lead people within MCC that comes um, from our Department of Policy and Evaluation, Mr. Dan Barnes. Thanks so much for having me. So my name is Dan Barnes. I'm the Managing Director for Selection Eligibility at MCC, and I previously worked at the World Bank, uh, handling uh, both governance and anti-corruption work there. Uh, I really got a wealth of experience working across a range of countries, and it was a real pleasure to move over to MCC about six years ago now uh, and take on this role with the uh, Selection and Eligibility team. And the managing director role on this team is responsible for a range of items that rest at the heart of key components of MCC's unique model of development assistance. The Selection Eligibility and Policy Performance Division helps the agency and our board of directors manage MCC's annual country selection process and the ongoing monitoring of country partner performance against MCC's good governance eligibility criteria. This includes producing MCC's annual country scorecards, and working closely with a wide range of critical stakeholders from our board, the broader United States government interagency, U.S. embassies around the world, U.S. Congress, civil society, and of course, MCC's partner countries and those countries that may be seeking an MCC program. The role I have on this team as the managing director is to connect the rigorous, systematic, and data-driven work of the remarkable staff that work on this team with these broader stakeholders to ensure that MCC's selectivity model is transparent and they would hold both ourselves and our partner countries accountable to this model that Congress laid out for us by statute. Okay, so with that, what exactly does it mean to have a scorecard? And frankly, from a selectivity perspective, why or how are we selective when it comes to MCC's approach to doing development? 
Absolutely, my favorite topic. So the MCC country selection process is based on explicit statutory direction Congress has given us. It's an annual process culminating at the December meeting of MCC's board of directors when the board selects new countries for MCC to partner with. The process itself has a series of data-driven steps. First, we have to identify candidate countries that the board can consider. By law, a country must be classified as either low income or lower middle income by the World Bank and can't be prohibited from receiving assistance by federal law. This year, of the 81 countries that were classified as low or lower middle income, 66 are actual candidate countries. We then produce a report each year called the Candidate Country Report that lists all those countries. We share it with Congress, and typically in late August, we then post it on our website as part of MCC's commitment to transparency. Now, the board will ultimately select countries from this list of candidate countries. But this brings us to the second step in the process. MCC produces another publicly available report that is approved by our board that outlines the country selection criteria and methodology that the board will use to select countries from the list of candidate countries. The board considers the country's scorecard performance, the opportunity to reduce poverty and generate economic growth, and the availability of funds. Now, the third step is producing the annual country scorecards, and this is something we're quite well known for. We make a scorecard for every low and lower middle income country each year. The scorecards use data from independent third-party institutions such as the World Bank, the IMF, the UN, and Freedom House. The scorecards compare countries against their income peers on 20 indicators measuring commitment to just and democratic governance, investments in their people, and economic freedom. The indicators cover each of the legally prescribed eligibility criteria that appear in MCC's authorizing statute. Now, just like the other two steps in the process that have publicly available reports, MCC posts the scorecards on our website early November of every year. We also have a wealth of information posted that explains where the data come from and how they are used. So I recommend people check that out. Now, finally, the MCC's board of directors considers a country's policy performance primarily as indicated by the country's performance on these scorecards when making country selection decisions. Importantly, however, more countries pass the scorecard each year than MCC has the funds to support. So the process is competitive and the board is highly selective. In part, this is due to the nature of MCC's programs, which are multi-year partnerships with countries. Now, finally, once the board actually selects countries in December, we produce a final publicly available report that lists all those countries and we post it on our website. So that's the overall process, but I also wanted to note some really interesting dynamics we've witnessed since MCC's founding in 2004. MCC's high quality grant resources and impactful programs are typically really attractive to countries seeking to strengthen economic growth and reduce poverty. As a result, we have seen countries use the MCC scorecard as something of a roadmap for reform, where they seek to adopt reforms and implement policies that can strengthen their scorecard performance in the hopes of eventually being selected for an MCC program, all before MCC invests a single program dollar. This is something we refer to as the MCC effect and is a powerful complement to the content of the programs we actually implement in partnership with the selected countries. Wow, that's great. I've definitely heard, and I know because I'm here at MCC, the, the MCC effect. And so I'm glad that you were able to, to raise that, um, that approach. And maybe, Dan, if it's, if it's possible, could you give an example of the MCC effect and how you've seen countries use our scorecard to, frankly, kind of prioritize things that they want to invest in to maybe get eligible to work with MCC? 
Absolutely. We have, we have a number of examples. Um, and two I'll, I'll flag right now is um, one is Sierra Leone. Uh, we have seen them work over a number of years to strengthen their scorecard performance. And it's a really great uh, illustration of it as well, because none of this is linear. It took them quite a bit of time to work from only passing four or five indicators about 10 years ago, and over a prolonged period of time, really strengthening their performance, looking at the scorecard, working with indicator institutions, having a team that was really empowered, working with the office of the president uh, to pursue some of these reforms, all while they were also uh, working on a threshold program. And this resulted in Sierra Leone being selected for a compact program by our board of directors about one year ago. It's a really powerful example of a consistent, prolonged effort uh, using the scorecard as a way to adopt reforms and, and strengthen performance. We've also seen this in, in Cote d'Ivoire, was another example, very similar to what we saw in Sierra Leone. And we have others we, we can highlight as well, and some of them are on our website. Great. So you mentioned 81 countries were eligible. What? Tell us a little bit more about what those types of countries look like. Um, and obviously with COVID and us being in the midst of a global pandemic, can you talk about if you're noticing any trends as far as countries backsliding from the economic growth or gains that they've made um, in the past five years? Absolutely. It's a great question. I think we, we've seen across the board that the pandemic has had a terrible impact on a range of countries. And, and we've seen some backsliding in the progress that had previously been made on reducing poverty, uh, especially extreme poverty. And so we did see a few more countries enter the income pool this year. You know, last year, I think there were about 78 countries that were classified as low or lower middle income by the World Bank, whereas this year there were 81, which really is sort of a reversal of the broader trend that we had been seeing for quite some time. So the impact of the pandemic is really profound. We're also seeing this uh, in terms of the scorecards themselves, because some of the things that we measure look at things like immunization rates or uh, primary education. Uh, and the pandemic clearly had a significant impact on these types of issues around the world, but particularly in the poorest countries in the world. And so uh, I think this just goes to highlight the really important role that MCC can play going forward and the opportunity to partner with these countries that have been so hard hit and that are struggling to, to really uh, strengthen their development paths. Uh, so looking forward to finding ways to work with these countries uh, going forward. Great. Thank you. Um, and you mentioned earlier that it's not a one and done process. So we don't just do the scorecard and then that's the list of countries that MCC may or may not work with for the year. Um, there's an element of the board making a decision as well as um, the resources that MCC has available to invest. So with regard to the board, can you talk a little bit about um, some examples of how the board may or may not take other things into consideration. I'm, I'm personally thinking about the TIP report, um, which a lot of people who, um, who follow development know, but for folks who are listening and may not know about, maybe could you go into a little bit of detail there as far as the board dynamics, as well as some of the other factors that we consider? Absolutely. Thank you for the question. So uh, you're absolutely right. The scorecards are the first step in the process, really, of looking at uh, how well-governed a country is and, and the extent to which they are meeting these statutorily prescribed criteria. But the board also does look at a broader range of information as they're making final decisions for potential selections, again, because it is a competition. 
Um, and you, you raise the trafficking in persons report, which is a perfect example of this. The trafficking in persons report itself is not on the scorecard per se, but it covers issues that are critical to broader conceptions of good governance, rule of law, and protecting the human rights of, of individuals, which really lie at the heart of these criteria. And so the board will look at how a country performs on the trafficking in persons report. And if they are ranked quite lowly on that, then they will look closely and they will be interested in seeing if the country is making progress on it to ensure that they are combating this uh, modern form of slavery. Um, and so we make sure that they have full information and can make decisions based on that. But it goes beyond just that. You know, the board also looks at things like the protection of LGBTQI plus rights. They're looking at a broader series of rights in countries to get a holistic understanding of, of what is going on in the country and therefore the opportunity to partner with the country to, to reduce poverty through economic growth. I am so glad that you spoke about the issue of LGBTQI rights um, and our board having that kind of bigger, broader visibility when looking at the country selection process. And I was curious, you know, you did mention that the scorecard in this whole process is a part of our statute. You know, we're 17 now um, as an agency. We're still younger as far as the development space is concerned, but we are growing. And as we've evolved, could you talk a little bit about the scorecard? I know there are 20 different indicators that are looked at, but can you talk about inclusion and some of the things that maybe we have enhanced or tried to update as we've approached how we are looking at the scorecard. Absolutely. So the scorecard is, is a living document and it has evolved over time. You're absolutely right that it is mapping against the statutory criteria, right? So we are focused on these specific principles that Congress laid out for us when we were founded. Um, but as new and better data become available, uh, we very much look at that because we want to make sure that the scorecards are dynamic, they're robust, they're methodologically sound. And as our understanding of what countries need to pursue to strengthen their development process, we update our scorecard accordingly. And just this last year, in fact, um, we updated some critical indicators in our economic freedom category that looked at things like access to credit and land rights and access. And we adopted new um, sources of data that increased the inclusivity of those indicators and really emphasized making sure that there was financial access for poor, vulnerable populations, marginalized populations in countries. Previously, we were using data that focused on sort of formal legal structures because that was the best data that had been available for some time. But there are new data sets that really capture these other marginalized communities. And we thought it was really critical to incorporate this into the scorecard because it's so central to the, the principles that underlie the scorecard. So we do continually review it to try to, stre to strengthen those and capture those concepts. So we're going to take a quick break and let the listeners know, if you want to see or hear more about MCC and our scorecard process, please go to www.mcc.gov. But in the meantime, um, as we take a break, Dan, um, when we come back, I really want to make sure we talk about how countries maintain eligibility before we close out and frankly, try to push you to give us a bit of a preview on who is going to be selected. To learn more about MCC scorecards, please visit www.mcc.gov forward slash scorecards. And to learn how MCC is distinctive in delivering development assistance, 
please visit www.mcc.gov forward slash about. All right. So, Dan, how do countries, if they backslide, what do they say to MCC? I, I'm, I'm assuming that folks are always trying to make sure they're watching and monitoring their scorecard uh, rating in order to maintain their, their eligibility. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. This is a critical piece of the puzzle. Um, well, previously we've been discussing the annual process for selecting countries. Um, it doesn't just end there. Um, we maintain an expectation that all partner countries demonstrate ongoing commitment to our eligibility criteria, which include core principles of democratic governance and controlling corruption. And that includes an expectation that partner countries maintain their scorecard performance. So the Selection Eligibility and Policy Performance Division monitors countries from the moment they're selected to the day they close out their programs. And we work closely with U.S. government interagency partners, the Department of State, U.S. embassies, and a range of civil society organizations and actors, both international and in each country. And this is important because we hold ourselves and our partner countries accountable to the expectations Congress established for us, as you were laying out, Aisha. Um, and if we find ourselves in the unfortunate situations where a partner country is exhibiting a significant decline in, for instance, democratic rights or the protection of human rights, adherence to the rule of law or respect for fundamental freedoms, MCC can and has ended our partnerships. And we do work hard, however, to not have to take such an action. Um, and we do this by seeking constructive engagement with our partner countries to make clear the requirements we must abide by and to encourage continued adherence to the principles of democratic governance that underpin the eligibility criteria. And we take seriously the spirit of partnership of our programs, which enable us to engage in frank, open, and ongoing dialogue with our partners. At the end of the day, the principles that underpin MCC's eligibility criteria are foundational for us. They are, after all, established by Congress and explicitly tied to MCC's conception of how best to deploy scarce grant resources to maximize impact on economic growth and poverty reduction. But every country has to determine its own development path, but MCC remains steadfastly committed to partnering with those that meet these statutorily required principles. So Dan, I know that what, it's almost 90% of our portfolio is in Africa, and we are growing our presence and our, our frankly, our partnerships um, in Eastern Europe and in Asia. Um, we're closing out some things that we've been working hard on in Latin America, but um, we're really excited about the scorecard this year and hopefully getting some new partnerships started. So anything you can tell us in preview for the 2022 scorecard candidates and who we might, uh, who the board might be teeing up for possible consideration? It's a great question. Uh, so I can't speak for the board. I don't know what they'll ultimately decide. We'll have to wait and see what decisions they make. But um, I do encourage our listeners to learn more about the country selection process and our scorecards on our website. Take a look and see those countries that are out there um, that the MCC board can can really consider, including those that are passing the scorecard. We've had some countries that have reentered the MCC uh income pool, as we discussed earlier, we had seen some countries that have gotten poorer that the board can consider. Uh, and so it, take a look at the scorecards on the website and see what the possibilities are and uh, look forward to having the report produced in the coming weeks. All right. Well, thanks, Dan. We couldn't get you to give us any more information, but I will remind all of our listeners um, that in December, when we have our board meeting, we will be sure to list our new partner countries for 2022 in our press release. 
And I'm hopeful that all of you all will continue to listen uh, to the podcast. If you have actually uh, additional ideas on podcast shows, we welcome them. Reach out to us at info at mcc.gov. And uh, again, thank you, Dan Barnes. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to On Development. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you prefer. And to learn more about MCC, please visit www.mcc.gov.